0: Because what I sense the Lord doing in worship just a few moments ago, at least what he did to me is he began to stir in me prophetic promises that he's spoken for years. He has. That's what he's done in my heart this morning. I began to speak. And I just want to remind us again, the Bible says, do not give up hope. And the Bible says that we have to war over those prophecies concerning you. He said, some have shipwrecked their faith. And whatever God has promised to you, how many of you know that God is able to accomplish? He is personally able to accomplish that which he speaks in your life. And I just speak that to your life, and I'm encouraged this morning as we journey into the Word of God together. We are in the fourth week of the series called Margins, and um, it's been a great, great month as we've looked here in the month of January at Defining Margin. We did Scheduling Margin. Last week, Pastor Chad preached about ethical margin, a moral margin, and today we're going to look at Financial Margin. Financial Margin. If you have your Bibles, you can open them up to Proverbs 21. And if you didn't receive a message card when you came in, you can raise your hand and the ushers will uh, so kindly serve you. But uh, Proverbs chapter 21 is where we're going to start. And I would like to ask you this morning by show of hands. I know it could be um, a little bit of a private question, but you guys uh, and ladies are always transparent. You're always very bold. And so I wonder how many of you would just go ahead and say in front of the rest of us here that, Um, occasionally, or maybe even often, you have some financial stress in your lives. Okay? All right, no, no, hold them up. You would say that, okay? So now I want you to look around just for a minute and realize just how normal this is. Okay? Very, very normal, right? In our culture today, financial stress is completely normal. You see it in almost everybody you come into contact with in almost every conversation. Today, living paycheck to paycheck is completely normal. Normal. Having monthly payments is absolutely normal. Debt out of your eyeballs? Absolutely normal. Worry, anxiety, fear, especially in a slowed economy, is very, very sad to say, but it is very, very normal. Sadly, having tension in your relationship as a result of the financial stress, fights if you're married, conversations that are always tense, is very, very normal. Sadly, again, having little or no financial margin is very, very normal. And that is one reason at Dwelling Place we don't like normal. Because normal is not working. It's not working at all. Financial margin. If you're taking notes this morning, I, I want to give you a working definition of margin that we've been using throughout the series. What do I mean when I say margin? Our definition is this. Margin is the amount available beyond what is necessary. It's the difference between what you have, what you need. So financial, we could say this: if you earn three thousand U.S. dollars a month, and you spend twenty five hundred U.S. dollars a month, you have five hundred dollars left over, and so you have five hundred dollars of margin for that month. Let's uh, imagine if you earn three thousand U.S. dollars and you spend three thousand U.S. dollars. How much margin do you have? You have zero. Some of you go. <laughs> That's nothing, Pastor Craig. That's nothing. I earn $3,000 a month and I spend $3,500 a month. Okay. Well, that is a totally different conversation. Okay. It's a totally different conversation. But margin is the amount available beyond what is necessary. So what does financial margin look like in your everyday lives? Here's what it looks like. It's having money left over at the end of the month. Did you know that's possible? And it's a good thing. It's having money available to help someone who's in need. It's having money available to give without feeling stressed when you give. Feeling so stressed. It could be having money available to do something you enjoy recreationally. It could be having money available to help purchase some time margin. What do you mean, Craig? Well, maybe if you have financial margin, you could hire somebody to clean your house. You could hire somebody to mow the yard. And in doing so, you actually purchase time margin by having financial margin. Financial margin then in that moment would serve the time margin. Margin is the ability to be financially, what we would say, at rest. Not anxious, not uptight, not worried, not always afraid. And again, let me just say, financial margin is something that most people do not have. But I want to tell us from the outside of this message, and I believe this wholeheartedly, that God desires for every person in this room to have financial margin. Proverbs 21 and verse 20. It's a great verse to commit to memory. I love this one. This would be a great one that you could commit to memory and constantly rehearse. But here's what the Bible says. In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil. In the South we'd say oil. But oil, right? Choice food and oil. But a foolish man devours all he has. In the house of the wise there is margin. There's margin. There is more than you need, but we could say a foolish person devours all that he has. A foolish person spends all that he has. Notice what's interesting to me. Interesting to me is that the Bible in this verse, the Bible does not say in the house of the wealthy is margin. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say in the house of the wealthy there's stores of choice food and oil. Notice the Bible doesn't say in the house of the six figure income. There is choice, food, and oil. Notice the Bible didn't say in the house of a two parent income, husband and wife, there is margin. It says in the house of the Wise, There's more than enough. Notice that. The prerequisite for the choice food and store, that store of choice food and oil, is wisdom. Notice that. In the house of the wise, there's more than enough. That means there is a wise way to manage money that God entrusts to us. And there is a foolish way to manage the money that God entrusts to us. Let me give you... An example. I'm going to speak to you about two people. One of those is a family member, but I won't give you their identity. But just to kind of illustrate this principle. These two people or friends would represent any number of people. My first friend lives honestly like most people in our community. When you go into their home, um, or at least in most of this person's community, a very affluent community. When you go to their home, it's a very beautiful home. Uh, When you walk up, the yard's manicured. You can tell it's professionally cared for. Really, really nice yard. And you just go, man, that's a nice yard right there. That's an amazing yard. You walk up to the front area and they are double doors. Now, I remember the first time I saw a house with double doors, I thought, I was like, who in the world would need so big they got to get through double doors, right? I mean, I had no idea. I had just one single door at my house, you know? And so it's like, you, you walk up to the front of this house, they got nice double doors. And you open up the double doors and you're immediately struck with the high ceilings. Beautiful high ceilings. They're high-end floors. Very nice home. You walk into the kitchen, there's stainless steel appliances everywhere. There's a gas stove that my wife always wants, Yeah, There's a gas stove right in the middle of the, of the kitchen Where people are cooking, right, and and then you walk into the to the bathroom or or in the kitchen. There's granite countertops. Then you walk over into the bathroom and and you talk about a nice jacuzzi tub. There's double sinks. There's a closet that if you run around it four times at 1,600 meters, it's one square mile or one mile. So you know it's you got shoes and clothes and just a really really nice big walk in closet. And when you look at that house, you say, man, they're doing well. Three car garage, all the toys. High end, man, these people are wealthy. You look at them, the outfit you look, um, uh, 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 the average person walks into that house and they're gonna say, man, they've got it, they're doing well off. But truthfully, I know enough of their story to tell you they're not. They got great appearance, but they have no financial margin. No financial margin. Great appearance veneer on the outside, but if you get beyond the appearance, what you'll find is that they really don't have that margin. And you see the wife then had to go back to work, which is not really what she wanted to do. The husband's afraid of losing his job, and they're fighting all the time, just trying to keep up with their lifestyle. Looks good, but I'm telling you, in that home, it's not what you'd want. Second, got another person, totally different lifestyle. When I walk up to their house, I would just be real honest, the yard is not manicured. Looks like... They don't own a weed eater. Kids been playing in it, right? Yard just, it, it works, but it's just not perfect. When you walk up to the door, there's not double doors, there's just one door. A little kind of inexpensive little screen door, right? You push the push the ding-dong and it goes ding-dong. The other house, you push the ding-dong and it goes dong-bang-bang-bang, bang, dong, bang, you know, all the way through the house. You, you ever seen that before? I mean, it just strikes the whole house. But when you push it, you know, nice little doorbell. When they open up, you're not overwhelmed with high ceilings, not low ceilings. In fact, they got that little popcorn stuff still on the ceiling, you know? You walk into that house, the, counter tur- the countertops, I should say, work just as good, but they're not granite countertops. You walk in the bathroom and there's one sink. In fact, there's only one bathroom in this house. There's only one bathtub. And I suppose if you put your hand in it and go, you can make a jacuzzi, you know, like a big stick or something, but But yet, they had a carport, not even a garage. Both two cars. They own two cars over 100,000 miles on each one. Let me tell you what. When I go over to their house, and I tell this family every time I've been there, I tell them, I love being in your house. Why? Because as odd as this sounds, I I know it's kind of far-fetched. I can feel their margin. Feel it. I can feel that they have margin. You walk into their home and you sit on their paid-for sofa and you look at their paid-for TV and they have no angst. They're not fighting and bickering, complaining over the stress of the resource and the money. There's this lack of tension, fear, anxiety. Most people with an untrained eye would walk up and say, oh, they're not rich. But that's just because we've defined rich the wrong way for way too long. See, when I look at a big house with tension and fear, there's nothing to me that says that's rich. What it says to me is that is very poor. That's highly poor. But when I see a home with margin, not just financial, but time and ethical, I say very boldly, that is a rich family that has that which matters most. That's what matters, right? So think about it. We brought nothing, he said, into the world, and we take nothing out of it. I want you to go to 1 Timothy chapter 6 with me just for a few moments. I think we can see these two families highlighted so beautifully. 1 Timothy chapter 6. I'm going to begin reading in verse 17. A very practical portion of Scripture. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the younger Timothy. Timothy's his protege. This is Batman writing to Robin. What I want to do is try to make sense of these verses. Let's read them together. 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them, Timothy... Not to be haughty, arrogant, bombastic, hubristic, prideful. Nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. But on God who richly provides with everything to enjoy. That's a pretty amazing verse. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Thus storing up treasure for themselves... As a good foundation for the future. So that they may take hold of that which is truly life. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. And avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. And he said, grace be with you. Paul ends a lot of his epistles. Grace be with you. I want to title this message, Financial Margin. Would you pray just briefly with me? Father, thank you for these moments. As we talk about uh, the the finances and the resources in our life, may we see you more, God. Thank you for the opportunity to learn about you today. We give you praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said. Now, when we read passages like this, 1 Timothy 6 and 17, I think the immediate reaction is to hear the apostles charge to a younger man and saying, teach the people who are rich to not be haughty. Charge the rich. And a lot of us think in terms of, Richness as twenty-four sports cars, formal living rooms, vacation homes, jets. And so what we do is we read and we say this passage does not apply to me. I'm not rich. Well I need to correct this notion because the term rich in ancient context, there's only two choices or two classes. There's what we call the haves and the have nots. The have nots do not have a roof. They don't have food. They don't have clothing. So when the term rich is being used in scripture, Paul is literally addressing two classes. The class that has food, has shelter, and has clothes is rich. So this passage, considering our Western world we live in, I'm very well aware of the extreme poverty, even in our own nation. I will, under the assumption that everybody in here is rich. That is to say, you know, you're going to eat today. Okay. That is to say, you know, you got food. You know, you got clothes for tomorrow. You're going to live somewhere tonight. You're going to have a place to stay. Okay. We know where our, next meal so according to the scripture we are the ones according to definition would be rich that's you and me now here's what's interesting to me paul was used of god to write two-thirds of the new testament that's a lot of books and out of all those books 27 new testament books paul was used to write two-thirds of them by all of his writings if you read through all of his writings this is the most extensive thorough portion where paul speaks on the subject of resources in terms of entirety very thorough This is what we would call primary passage where he speaks directly to those of us in the room who have clothes, who have food. Who have shelter, the rich. Now, what he's about to do for us is introduce to us an entirely different economy, an entirely different way of thinking about money, of thinking about your checking account, of thinking about your savings account, of thinking about your retirement, about thinking about your clothes, about thinking about your shoes, your watches, your cars, your homes. He gives to us an entirely different economy. But before he gives the practical instructions, of how we could create what we would say is financial margin. He deals with the emotion of money. Everybody say emotion. Now it's interesting to me. He says, Timothy, charge the rich people in your community. Now Timid, Timothy, I just want to say, will pastor ultimately about 15,000 people later is a leader. He's pastoring essentially a mega church. Paul tells Timothy, when you're preaching, charge the people and encourage those who have resources to think like this. Have this attitude towards money. In other words, preach this, teach this, approach money like this, which is why we are doing that today. And he notice he addresses the two primary emotions of money. There's two primary emotions you see in verse 17. Look what he says. Charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, which is to say, number one, charge the people and tell them that they are not better than someone else because they have money. And number two, that their life will not be better because they have more money. Their life doesn't get better as a result of more resourcing. Now, if you believe those two things, we could close up the sermon right now, could we not? If we really believed as 21st century believers in a consumeristic, capitalistic nation that... Because I have money does not make me any better than somebody else. Or that gaining more money would not make my life better. Imagine how you would feel emotionally with money. Imagine your emotional relationship to funding and resource. Because why? That elusive pull of our culture is that money or that that money has, I should say, on our sensations is that that if I get more, my life will improve, right? If I gain more money, I, I know if we get a bigger house, if my mortgage was done, if I could pay stuff off, my life would just be better. Would it? Would you internally be more satisfied, fulfilled, at peace and at ease if you made more money? See, money is like marriage. It only makes you more of what you were before you had it. You don't deal with a moral deficiency by getting married. You don't deal with a financial deficiency by getting more money. Neither one of them ultimately serves the purpose you think it'll serve. Pastor Greg, I like having sex. So I'm going to get married. That may not work out for you, my friend. See, before you were married, you're dealing with immorality. After you're married, now it's not just immorality. It's also adultery. Now the stakes are higher. And, 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 and all of a sudden, you're, you're more of what you were before. Why? Because marriage and money are not ways of fixing stuff. They simply amplify what you were before you got it. That's so what we're going to talk about next week. Looking for the right one. I'm going to preach on the singles. And we're going to talk about this. The best married people are single people. The best, the most healthy single people become the most healthy married people. Okay? It only amplifies. That's all it does. It doesn't change things for you, it just amplifies what you were before you got it. So this idea if I get more money, I'll be happier. Have you ever talked to someone who had a lot of money? We live in a fluent part of the world. Chances are it's safe to say you've rubbed shoulders with somebody who has a lot of money. And I ask you, when you talk to them, did their soul seem more at rest? Did they have a sparkle in their eye? Spring in their step. Did they sing Disney songs at Sam's Club down the aisles? Did they constantly have ease? No. Why? Because Biggie said it right. Mo' money, mo' problems. Okay? It it doesn't cause your life to be more at ease. If we're honest, all of us still struggle with that internal motion. If we're honest. Man, if I could just pay it off, I could just... Be able to have this, and, and then you get some and you always want a little bit more, don't you? It just perpetuates, right? Like, I know I have a big house, but I really need a private jet. Commercial airlines are killing me. I've already TSA pre-checked and everything. And then you get a private jet, it's like, oh man, I need a I need a private pilot. My pilot's never available for my private jet. And then you get a private pilot. Man, I need two private pilots because one of them needs to fly me. One of them needs to feed me Biscoff cookies. But you don't have Biscoff cookies on private jet, like filet mignon. You, know, you, you understand what I'm saying? It perpetuates more and more. And Paul told Timothy, he said, tell the people who have money they're, they're no better than anyone else. And tell them that their life won't get any better when they get money. Now, there is nowhere, I need to mention this, in this passage that Paul ever puts down having more money. This is his primary patches in the New Testament. And never one time does he say your money is bad or riches are bad. Okay. You need to understand money is amoral, amoral, not immoral. That is to say money does not have the intrinsic value. Its value is determined by what people do with it. Okay. It's amoral, amoral. You use it for the good. It becomes something righteous. If it's used for immorality, it becomes something very damning. Okay. It is amoral. He never puts down people having money. But he just says, understand, if you get more, it doesn't mean you're going to be better. And it doesn't mean that your life is going to be better. Now, listen, if you understand that, then emotionally you'll have a healthy relationship to money. Imagine how healthy and angst-free you would be if you genuinely at the core of your being felt, I am no better because I have more money than others and my life is no better or will be improved because I have more money. That's why he said earlier in this passage, 1 Timothy 6 and 6, godliness with contentment is great gain. It's great gain, but those who have the love of money pierce themselves with many griefs. They pierce themselves. That's what he says, if I'm just content, if I say, God, I'm content and satisfied with what I have. Whew. Now he says then, tell them not to set their expectation on the uncertainty of money, but on who? On God. Don't put their hopes on their money, but tell people who have money to set their expectations, not on their money, but on their God. And tell them, in other words, God is their source. Now what Paul is doing is he's transitioning into the introduction of a new economy. A different economy. A divine economy. And and let me tell you something. In this economy, there is a truth that we've got to understand. In the divine economy of God, there is only one source in that economy people struggle with this there are not a multiplicity of sources in the economy or kingdom of God in that sense there's only one source, it's God and if you want to function in God's kingdom then you have to resolve the fact that you are not the source your boss is not the source your job is not your source your abilities are not your source your strength is not your source even your time is not your source your God is your source when you get that kind of attitude I'm telling you it changes everything God be your source. You are hewn from the rock. That God is that rock. He's your source. That's the divine economy. There's only one source in this economy. His name is God. Now here's the good news. God is a very dependable source. He never changes. And tell people, he said, who have money, put their hopes not on the money, but on God. Who, by the way, look at verse 17. Richly provi- provides us with everything for what? To enjoy. That's amazing. That's amazing. To enjoy. Put your hope in God. Why, Pastor Craig? Why should I do it? Because he's lavish. And he will provide everything you need so you can be happy. So you can enjoy. That's amazing. That sounds like a pretty good deal to me. And then Paul does something kind of sneaky. He intrinsically continues in this passage and begins to connect giving and, 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 and fun and happy and joy. You want to be happy? Let me ask. You want to be happy? Was well, there anybody here today says, man, I'm just so tired of being happy. I'm so fed up with joy. So tired of happiness. I feel like a room without a roof and I'm just sick and tired of it. I feel all happy, right? I just want to be sad all the time. Does that person exist? Well, that person, of course, you know, does not exist. We all want to be happy. Well, look at Jesus was quoted after he talks about true happiness. Notice this. Jesus, in Acts 20, verse 35, I'm going to read the ESV first. Look what the scripture says. Jesus being quoted, Acts 20 and 35. He said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. It is more blessed to give than receive. Look at the message says, you'll be far happier giving than getting. Acts 20 and 35. This is why, folks, have you ever heard a story of the consumption of resources? A story of consumption and just been moved emotionally like Somebody comes in and be like, oh man, you won't believe it. I went over there to Off-Broadway shoes and I got 30% off my boots. (laughs) You know, it's like, no, no. But every time I hear a story on giving, you might as well put me in the floor. I'm like, uh, I'm ugly crying. Why? Because you are hardwired in God and in the image of God to give and not take. That's why you're emotional when you hear stories of giving. We don't watch, you know, these shows about somebody getting a good deal. We watch shows about somebody having no ability to buy it and someone coming and blessing them and every one of us is crying her eyes out. Why? Because you're far happier giving than getting. It is far more blessed to give than it is to receive. Wait, pause. Are you serious? I'm being serious. You say, Craig, why does money even need to be talked about? Well, because money matters. You say, why does money matter? Well, it matters to God because it matters to you. It matters to you. And he said, cast all your cares on him for he cares for who? For you, it matters to you. And by the way, you say, well, why are we considering money for a whole message? Well, let us realize that money is one of the most dominant aspects of our entire life on this planet. Think about it. What if you replaced all the thoughts you had about money in one day with the thoughts about God during the day? How close would you get to God? You'd be up under His wing. Every thought you had of money, you had of God... And that's what he wants. He wants you to think about him as as your source. He wants your mind to be stayed upon him as the source. And Jesus says, you're far happier giving than getting. Can you imagine if we believe that? I'm just being honest. Can you imagine? You want to be happy? You want to be joyful? You learn to give more than you get. Sorry, come again? Yeah. You want to be happy, right? Yeah. Learn to give more than you take. Put your hope in God. Not on money. Put your hope on God. Not on stuff. Not on things. God wants you to enjoy life. That's what he said. He would lavishly provide all things for you to enjoy. And I look at how God gives. He gives lavishly. Don't let anybody ever get you or get on you or belittle your expectation of your God giving to you lavishly. That's what he says. How can you do that? How can I understand that? Well, John 3.16 said, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Hashtag L-A-V-I-S-H. There's no greater hashtag lavish than God the Father giving His own Son for us. If He's not given His Son, will He not give us all things? We ought to expect God to lavishly provide for us. Now listen, lavish is relative. I understand that. Lavish for one person is this and lavish for... But listen, that doesn't take away from the fact that you should expect God every day to provide for you in lavish ways. And you should free yourself up. You should liberate yourself to anticipate and expect that from God. That's just what the scripture says. He lavishly provides all things for us to enjoy. Paul tells Timothy, listen, I want you to get at the core of what you're believing about this thing. And let me just pause here and say, because I think sometimes we think this, God does not work in pie economics. Like, remember, we were in economics in 12th grade, and we had pie economics. In other words, because you have a car, doesn't mean I can't have a car because God gave you the only car He had. But we treat it like that. Like, God, you gave Him a Toyota Tacoma. What else do you have up there, God? Any more Toyotas? You know, it's like... God, you gave them a house. Yeah. Well, he owns a cow on a thousand hills. So when he cuts a slice out, he has an endless supply. Okay? There's, no, there's no damning supply. It is an endless supply. It's not how God works. If anyone ever criticizes you, Oh, you got that big house. Do you know how many kids we could feed in Africa with that? Don't let them do that. That's a small perspective. Can, 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 can you not give big? And do both at the same time? Isn't God big? Don't limit your perspective of God. Yeah, yeah, you've got to be a missional steward. But how do you know the people who live in big houses don't give big? Okay? Don't, don't limit God to that minimal kind of perspective. Now, he, he goes on. And, and then he gives what I would say is four simple steps and statements of how anyone with shelter, food, clothing should participate in God's economy. I always want to say, if you read the whole narrative of Scripture, you'll find out very quickly, God wants to... I mean, He really wants to speak to you about your money, but you had to let Him. And I need to tell you, God wants to bless you. He, by nature, is Jehovah Jireh. He is, by nature, a provider. i got to be honest with you. When you all were worshipping just a few moments, I was in the back. My wife took a picture. She takes pictures on Sunday morning of our kids when they're ready. And Marley's face was transitioning in the picture. I saw it. I was looking at my phone. From little baby girl face to this nice big smile. Just a gorgeous young girl. And I found myself back there smiling from ear to ear looking at her picture. I will do anything to provide for her. And I just thought about it. That's what he looks at. And her faith is doing worship right now. And that's what he's doing. I just love her face so much. I just want to reach, I want to go get her out of the class And when I'm looking at her picture because I love that face so much. That's what our Father is. That's how he acts. That's how he is. He's a provider. He lavishly desires to give things to enjoy. That's what the scripture says. But the house of the wise has the choice. Remember? The house of the wise. See, so say, Craig. What are those? Now if you want to step into God's economy, it's not complex, it's risky, it's uneasy. Socially people think you're lost your mind. But it's simple. You gave what? You gave who? Yeah. You know, people in church go to meet with a CPA. Man, you realize you give too much of your money away and everybody who does that says, no, you don't realize I don't give enough money away because every time I give away, God constantly allows provision to come back in my life. And you're far blessed and far more happy giving than getting. But if you want to participate in God's economy, here's the most practical explanation that Paul gives. Now, let me say, how do we create financial margin in our life? How do we do it? How can we create financial margin? You don't have to write this down, but this is the most simple answer. It's very obvious answer. You either earn more or you spend less. That's it. Both or either will work. You earn more, you spend less. That's the obvious answer. If you want to create margin, do that. It's as simple as it gets. Earn more or spend less. But every one of you are smart and you already know that, don't you? So just because we know earn more, spend less doesn't mean that we still have financial margin. Why? Because it's not an income problem. It's a spiritual problem. It is. Or it's a lifestyle problem. That is to say that if you make a certain amount of money, what happens is you let your lifestyle trail right behind it. When you make more money, you let your lifestyle trail right behind it. As long as your lifestyle trails your income, then what happens is you have no margin. So you don't create any margin. Right? And so think about this. Earn more, spend less as being a spiritual problem. How do we get beyond the practical, just the spiritual? Well, the very simple answer is this. You ready? You must put God first in your finances. You must put God first, because in our world, we tend to become first. If we want it, we're going to get it. If we have anything left over, we'll bring to God in on the deal kind of late in the game. But in the reality, he said in Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then everything else shall be added unto us. That means when we seek him first, I'm not just talking about the tide. That's a big part of it. I'm talking about being prayerful. I'm talking about being close to God. I'm talking about genuinely asking God, how would you have me manage the resources that you entrust to my care? About sincerely seeking His will and direction. And when we put Him first, what happens is we see the benefits of that. What happens when you put God first in your finances? You experience God's blessings. You experience His blessings. So I want to give you Timothy. He says, tell the rich people to do these four things. You ready? Number one. He says to do good. Do good. Verse 18. Do good. Now, in the original language, this is what he's saying. Tell them to use their money for more than just luxury. That's what it means. Not instead of luxury, but for more than just personal luxury. Your desire to make more money in 16 should not be just to have a yacht. Although, if you do, I'm usually free on Saturday afternoons, Saturday evenings. It's got to be more than just to have a personal yacht. But our whole system and our whole culture is built on a different economy. What is that? That you earn more money so I can spend more money on me. Luxury. He says, tell the people with money, Timothy, to think about more than your own personal luxury. Think beyond that. It's where it begins, but think beyond that. Start to use your money for more than just luxury. Tithe. Tithing releases God's blessing. Malachi 3 Verse 8 and 10, 8, 9 and 10, Scripture says bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. That's the church. Bring 10% of what God trusts to us in the house of God, that there may be food in my house. You can almost see God saying at this point, oh, they're not going to believe me when I say that to them. Uh, they're going to they're think I'm crazy, I'm, I'm stupid. And so God says this, test me in this. You don't believe me, put me to the test. Test me in this, says the Lord God Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. So, what does tithing do, Pastor Craig? Tithing, when we bring our first and our best, God will bless the rest. What tithing does is a principle of faith and it trains us and teaches us that God will do more with the 90% than we can do with the 100%. That's what it teaches us. It builds our faith. And I got to be honest, it's the most tangible way and practical way you can put God first in your life. We have to rearrange our lives around God. If I took your checkbook, I would know exactly where your heart is. If I took your state bank statement this last month, I would know exactly. It it cannot lie. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so what does tithing do? It's saying, I'm going to put you first. The biblical, honorable, faithful tithe, returning 10% back to God. Guess what else it does? It breaks the power of materialism and consumerism in our lives. It breaks the power because it forces us to let go of some of the places our money's been going so we can trust God with a tithe. That's why when people ask me, Craig, if I don't have any financial margin, should I wait until I have money to start tithing? No, baby, no. You say, why, Craig? You start tithing now because in tithing you break the very thing that led you to a marginless life. You break the power of the thing that holds you bondage. The desire and yearning for more. So no, you start. And then all of a sudden when I return back to God 10% in the form of the tithe, I begin to see his blessings. He says, tell the people, Timothy, to do good. Then the second one. Be rich in good works. This one's more personal. I guess they're all personal, but this one's really personal. Tell the people who are rich. Tell them not just to throw money at stuff. Tell them not to drop dollar bills in a bucket. Tell them to roll up their sleeves and get their hands dirty themselves in aiding humanity. Tell them to get involved physically. Tell them to go somewhere in the world, to go across the street, to open up their doors, to invite people over to their house, to to go in their cul-de-sac and invite somebody and connect with somebody. Tell them, tell them, Timothy, the ones with money, to physically, tangibly engage in the fight for humanity, that we would bring aid to other people. Listen, we have no problem with people giving money. It, It takes resources for the kingdom of God to go forward. We have a core value of missional stewardship but I pray that in dwelling place church and dwelling place movement that our generosity eclipses uh, giving in a bag. I pray that we years down the road remember I'm thinking and seeing in the spirit this morning. That's what I am. I'm just telling you. I pray that we as a church would have a generosity and a spirit about us that eclipses us giving on Sunday morning gatherings. That literally we do something all throughout the week. I prayed an all night prayer on Friday night that at the end of this movement we would send at least 100,000 people on short term missions. Trips That may not just be from this location. It can be from any church we plant, but I'm believing it, that we would get ourselves involved, that we would roll up our sleeves and involve ourselves in fighting for other people. What would happen if we took thousands and thousands and thousands of people on mission trips? What would happen if we planted thousands of churches overseas? What would happen when God started in a movement of faithful generosity where we roll up our sleeves and we get involved with people's lives? We will do it. What it means to get involved is it's not just our generosity generosity in our money but it's our generosity in our time it's our generosity in our effort it's our generosity in our energy we are putting his kingdom first that's what he said he said be rich in good works be rich in good work not poor that'll preach to modern day churches because this is not being rich in good works just giving throwing money it's part but you got to get involved you have to be rich in good works now look what the scripture says. Powerful, powerful verse. Right there in your Bible. You'll see it on your card in front of you. Not only being rich in good works. He then goes on to tell them to be generous. Tell them to be generous. Now I've got to be honest with you here. There's no way to get around this. You can look up this word generous. In the Greek language. And here's what it means. Liberally give your money away. <laughs> Go home. Check it out. To be generous means that you give Money away. Timothy, tell the people who are rich to give stuff away all the time. Oh, you want to participate in God's economy? You want to be happy? You embrace these things. You develop a lifestyle of giving stuff away all the time. You promise you will be happy. It's not just money. It's, it's resources. Whatever you have to give. Whatever God's entrusted. You, you just practice. See, generosity has nothing to do with how much money you have. It's how generous are you with the money you do have. That's what it is, Being, developing a lifestyle of giving stuff away all the time. And look what he says in Proverbs 15, 16. What's the first word in this verse? Would you say it aloud? One, two, three. He says, better. Better. Is it worse? No, it's better. To have what? It's better to have a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. That is a biblical statement. That's true. That's not, we, we don't have a chance to debate it. Better to have little. There are few, few, very few people in our culture that believe that truth right there. But that's the word of God. Better a little with God. Better a little with margin. Better a little with peace than big houses. Better a little with peace than nice cars. Better a little with peace than great wealth with turmoil. Better something paid for than something nicer with stress of debt better a little with the fear of the Lord than what everyone else and everyone else has great turmoil better 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 godliness with contentment is better it's great gain it's better you got to believe that's so why I'm gonna keep saying it better is it with you when you have little with peace than great wealth with turmoil that's what he said why are you driving an older car when you could have a new one with nice leather and better why are you cutting up your credit cards and paying cash when you realize it's better you become different. But you got to realize it's better. you got to realize it's better. Better. When you seek God first, you get closer to God, guess what happens? You don't need those things because God becomes enough. That's why he tells you to seek first his kingdom. You're not driven with trying to fill your life with something out there because God is enough in here. It really is a spiritual problem. It's an issue. He said, tell them to be generous. And then fourthly and finally, he said, be ready to share. The word ready means you're you're plotting, you're planning, you're anticipating, you're looking for ways to give. Powerful. You're looking for ways to give. You are, in essence, we would say it, on the generous prowl. Everywhere you go, you're looking for a way to bless people. Can you imagine that for a minute? Imagine you just going throughout your day and saying, Hey, man, you need a car? Yeah. Hey, come here, guys. We got him a car. Hey, you guys need clothing over here? Come on, come on, come on over here, guys. Come on. Here, we, we, you, you're just strategizing. And What if you went into your work this week? Who, who oh, You need some. Okay, yeah, yeah. Come on, come on, come on. We're, we, we're, 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 we're not just, we're intentional about this. This is not just happenstance. We're, we're ready to share at all times. Hey, you need some. Oh, come on, come on, guys. They need something. right. And when you do that, you extend the grace and mercy of God. You destroy display the goodness and the lavish uh, uh, provision that God has had on our lives. Think about it. We have in our community currently at this place, anywhere from right on 150 people. So in a city, Woodstock of 30,000 people, can you imagine just with what 150 people could do if they walked on the generous prayer all the time? Always looking for people to bless, always ready to share. Uh, if we start to embrace God's economy and we roll around our city, we're just plotting, we're just strategizing, we're trying to scheme how to give things away. We got too much stuff and and we're just trying to bless people. And I want you to think of the difference you would make. Imagine how happy your family would be. There are many people in this city, just like cities everywhere, that want nothing to do with Jesus Christ. But you give them a check. You give them a warm Blanket. You pay for gas in their car, you go take them and buy them a meal, they will listen to the message you have to share, but, but they won't until we demonstrate our generous God who has lavished His goodness and His grace on our life. But here's what's interesting to me, is, is that when you really put money first in proper place, or, or God first, your money in God first in its proper place, you realize that money has everything to do with our message. What do you mean, Craig? Yeah. Because he said where your treasure is, you are Heart will be so where is my treasure it's Jesus my heart is with him so everything I own is connected to him my heart is with him so all of my homes houses land are connected to him my heart is with him so my pocketbook is connected to him my my heart is with him so so my family is connected with him my heart is with him so my children and what they do and what they receive is connected with him uh, my heart is with him so what we do and what we spend on holidays is connected to him see it has everything to really do with your life when we really talk about money. And I don't know about you, but for me, I don't want to be on my deathbed wishing I had a bigger boat. I want to be on my deathbed saying, I have leveraged everything. I've given everything to God. I've given everything. Whatever you have, God, social media, whatever it is, my phone, uh, my ability to preach, a microphone, a house, I've leveraged everything that Jesus might be known in the earth. Why? Why? Because the bio, because right now in the world there are seven point two five billion people. When you add up every Christian, and we're even including Catholicism, Roman Catholicism, uh, the the Eastern Orthodox Church, and Protestantism, those three main sects, that is about. Anywhere from 3.2 to 3.5 billion people. That means that there are over 4 billion people on this planet right now that are lost. That would die and go to a crisis eternity. Now 4 billion people don't mean anything to us because it's just a letter. We don't even recognize it. Let me tell you what 4 billion people is. If 4 billion people went down to the equator and they held hands shoulder to shoulder like this. They would wrap around the world the entire circumference. Not one time. Not two times. Not five times. Not seven times. Not ten times. Not twenty times. Not 30 times, not 50 times, not 75 times, not 100 times, not 125 times, but 140 times. That's how many lost people there are in the world. Why do we have missional stewardship? Because life is not about us. It's about leveraging what we have for the sake of God's kingdom being advanced. And meanwhile, in America, we're still worried about our luxury. Four billion lost people. When that finally settles on your mind... It'll change the way you live. It just will. It'll change. But those who have no financial margin are unable to, to give. We become indebted in bondage. What do we do? We put God first in our finances. Do good. He said, be willing, ready to share. Giving generously. And listen, best part, while we're living this way, God provides everything we need to enjoy life. That's what it said. He said He everything we need to enjoy life. That's what the Scripture just said. This is crazy. Folks, can somebody please tell me where God's economy sign-up is? I'm in line. I'm first. Throw me in the line. I do this, and God, you give me all things to enjoy. Solomon was, uh, was probably the single most wealthy man to ever live. He owned so much of the known world at the time. In, in modern day statistics, he would own trillions of dollars. Trillions. And Solomon gets to the end of his life and he makes an observation about an economy. You take it or leave it. But this is the observation of the wealthiest man who's ever lived on the planet. And this is what he has to say about an economy. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24. This is what he says. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and he only suffers once. The message translation is this. The world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. That's God's economy. This is what he says. This is the observation he makes. You say, well, people in my workplace, they'll look at you. When you put God first, you create financial margin. You're able to bless other people. Here's what they'll do. They'll look at you and say, but I don't make sense. How are you so blessed? I make more money than you make. I'm higher up in the job than you are. How are you so blessed? And you'll be able to look at them with great witness and confidence and say, because my job's not my source and my employer's not my source. And you'll be able to say my resources do not come from my talents or my abilities. My energy in my body does not come from me as a source. God alone is my source. He's my source. He's my source. This is who God is. This is what God wants to be known. And this is what God takes delight in in blessing His children. Because His fame spreads. So He ends with this last verse, verse 19. We've already read it, 1 Timothy 6. He ends with this verse and He says, Why do we all do this? Thus, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. He said, these people who do this, they think about heaven. So why? That they may take hold of that which is truly life. Whoa, did you hear it? Money can't give you that, friends. Money can't give you that. Money can't give you true life, but when you put money in its proper perspective and use it to bless people, you tell the people, Timothy, people with money, when they think like this, when they give like this, when they live like this, they will take hold of that which is true life. And who is that? Jesus. Jesus Christ. Far be it from me, far be it from you, that stuff and money and houses and cars and lands would keep us from taking hold of that which is true life himself, Jesus Christ. He says, I implore you, Timothy, to begin living this kind of life. Why? Because you'll know Jesus and you'll be happy. You'll be fulfilled. You'll grab hold of life. I'm telling you today, my prayer for you is that your soul gets lighter. Your soul gets free today. As you're sitting in this room right now, nothing in your finances has changed by you listening to this message, but yet everything has changed. Because you get a different perspective. You get a different perception. You say, God, I want to leverage all that I have for the sake of your kingdom. That's what God desires. That's God. why. The last verse I give you there, Proverbs 8. God talking about wisdom. He says, with me are riches and honor. With me are lasting wealth and success. My fruit is better than fine gold. My gifts are better than the finest silver. What does that mean? The things I give are better than the things of this world, God says. And when you seek Him first, instead of filling your life with the things that don't really matter, you'll fill your life with the things that truly do matter. And it will be better. It will be better. When you have time margin and financial margin... You spend time with the people that you love, and you invest in things that are most important. When you have no margin, you invest in the things you have to invest in. When you have margin, you invest in what's important. I think the great quote is, when you receive a paycheck from your employer, tithe 10% goes to God. You give. Secondly, you give and pay yourself for savings. Thirdly, you pay your bills. And if you don't have enough to pay your bills, then you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. Putting God first. Putting Him first. I want to ask the band to come. Would you bow your heads with me? As you're praying right now, let me just cut right into it as your heads are bowed, eyes are closed. How many of you realize that you have pressure, you have tension, and it very well is a spiritual issue, and you really do want something better? you really do want something better is anyone in the room you could say that with every head bowed every eye closed you say that's me Pastor Craig I see those hands awesome awesome here's what I want to tell you It is really sad the majority of you that put your hands up earlier and you said I have financial pressure only a few of you put your hands up just then because you don't believe it's better <laughs> isn't that the truth we don't believe it's better. He said, better is it to have little with great peace and great wealth with turmoil. For those who raise your hand, I just pray, God, right now, for those who are wise enough to see a better way through your word. God, I pray that you would bless them in every way possible. God, I pray as they put you first, God. they would see you do more with the 90% than they could ever do with 100%. And God, I thank you ahead of time for the ways they're going to see your provision. God, I thank you that the power of the tithe, God, giving will break the grip of materialism in their lives. And God, as they put you first, God, I'm asking... And thank you that they will be content for you said godliness with great contentment is great gain. May they be blessed this week with the gift of contentment, God. I thank you that their lives be filled with more of what matters, that which really matters. God, give them the courage and faith to say no to what everyone else wants so they can want or have what no one else has. They can have the true blessings that God, you offer that are better, that are better, that are better. Teach us, God, as a community, as people who live missional stewardship, God. Teach us to put you first. And I thank you, God, right now in advance for what you're going to do in the lives of those people as they put you first. As you're still praying with nobody else looking around, here's the deal. It's a spiritual problem. Because we truly believe that more of what this world has to offer is truly going to satisfy the emptiness of our lives. It's a lie. You can gain the whole world, and if you forfeit your soul, you lost everything. Listen carefully right now. God may be speaking to you. Some of you are searching. Many are searching. I'm convinced there are people who call themselves Christians that truly are not. They're simply using the name of Jesus to accumulate more stuff. that doesn't matter. But you're in this room today. Is He first? Is He King? Is He your Savior? Is He? Ask yourself. Is He reigning in your life? See, the problem is you don't want to talk about debt. We all got debt. It's called sin debt. We got sin debt. It separates us from God. It separates you from God. But today, you'll never be good enough. You've been searching, you've been searching, you've been searching. Nothing in this world will satisfy, and you keep on searching. i want to tell you, your search has led you today to Jesus Christ. And you'll find him today if you're calling his name. If you're calling him today, there's no thing in the world that will satisfy. But what you've been searching for is a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And if you're calling his name today, God will come rushing to your aid. If that's you in this room. You say, that's me, Pastor Greg. Jesus, I call on you today. It's not a game. It's not a religious exercise. I want you to save me, Lord of my life. Forgive me. Transform me. Be my Savior. Be Lord of my life. If that's you today, with every head bowed, every eye closed, you just raise your hand right now. Is there anyone in this room? You say, I need that. Yes, God bless you. God bless you. Anyone, you say, I want Jesus. Jesus, take over my life. God bless you. God bless you. I see that hand. Hallelujah. Anyone else? Anyone else? God bless you, sir. God bless you, ma'am. I want everyone to pray this prayer with those who just raised your hand. Everybody say, Heavenly Father, I turn from my sins. I turn to You. Jesus Christ, save me. Forgive me. Become the Lord of my life. Come on, say, my life is not my own. I'm giving it to You. Take my life, Lord. Use it for Your glory. I thank You for new life. Now You have mine. In Jesus' name. I pray. Right now, come on church. Can we explode? Come on with celebration for those who prayed. Come on. Let's give God praise this morning. Come on. Let's give Him praise. Hallelujah, Lord. We worship you. For those who raised your hand, we welcome you. We welcome you into this family you're born into today. But let me tell you.